Happy New Year, everyone. Jesus is the light of the world. But is he the light of your life? What does that mean? What does that look like? That's what we're talking about here today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that your new year is going great. We're only a couple of days in, but I hope that you're still on your diet, that you're not too sore from getting back to the gym, and that you're still excited about the plans that you have made for 2018. I know there are a lot of people that aren't into doing resolutions, probably because they haven't been able to stick to them or to you know, see them through to the end. And that just gets so frustrating. We kind of guard ourselves and say, well, resolutions are done. (laughs) Uh, But I just want to encourage all the folks out there who are trying to make their lives better, to get healthier, to be healthier people, to achieve your, your goals, to chase after your dreams. I think this is good stuff. I think this is good spiritual stuff where we dig in and we try to discover where God is calling us and pulling us forward. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited for you. hope that you're still excited as we get into the new year because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of your life. And that's what we celebrate this time of year as we get into the year. We are right close to Epiphany. And Pastor Julie did a great uh, sermon on Jesus being the light of the world that we're going to play for you for this week. And That is just so true. I think we forget the power of that image, that if you've ever been in a dark room and and you just can't see anything, it only takes a little bit of light to make a huge difference. And I feel like that's how it is with Jesus Christ. We are in the darkness, and all of a sudden, he comes into our life, and, and everything changes. We could see things for what they are. We see things more clearly. We are more aware of the life that's really there. We're not fumbling around. We now have a sense of direction, a sense of place, a sense of purpose. And that's what I pray for you for this new year. And that's probably, I pray for me as well. May the light of Jesus Christ bless us all. And here we go. Without further ado, here's Pastor Julie Sermon. Have a great week. Well, every year it seems that Christmas starts earlier and earlier and gets put away sooner and sooner than the year before. Do you know what I mean? Have you noticed that? This year, I think I saw Christmas advertisements before Halloween. And in the second week of November, I was driving down Broad Street and noticed lit up trees and wreaths on the lampposts on Broad Street. And people immediately started asking, now when is our Christmas Eve services gonna be this year? It was as if the Christmas season had begun that day. Then this week, while many stores had replaced their Christmas items with Valentine's Day cards and candy, it's still December. Christmas has been put away already. Well, I, for one, am glad that in the church, we keep time a little differently. The season of Advent, as you know, begins four Sundays before Christmas, And then we celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And then after Christmas Day, December 25th, the 12 days of Christmas begin and end on January 6th, which is Epiphany. 
So today is only the seventh day of Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. So I love that in the church, the trees and the wreaths stay up. I think our tree is still out there, right? Yeah, our trees and our wreaths stay up. We keep the poinsettias, even though most of them have lost their leaves. This is one of the reasons my husband and I decided to get married 25 years ago on January 2nd. The church was already decorated for Christmas. Well, keeping these decorations around for 12 days of Christmas, I think, reminds us to take some time to stop and pause and reflect upon the most momentous event in history, God entering the world in the form of an infant. It's mind-blowing. Now, you might be surprised to know that the church didn't celebrate this event for the first 300 years of its existence. The big celebration was Easter, and I think still should be. But there's no money in Easter, right? So that's why it sort of gets pushed aside. Or not as much, at least. But by the middle of the 4th century, the church began celebrating Christmas on December 25, and then a few years later began celebrating Epiphany on January 6th. And that was the day when people exchanged gifts. I think I'd like a few gifts on January 6th. I don't know about you. I know some people do still practice that and save one last gift for January 6th. Maybe we'll try that in our family. If you're not familiar with the word epiphany, it comes from the Greek word epiphania, meaning shine or reveal, and reminds us how God has been revealed to us in Christ. Now, historically, Christians in the Western Hemisphere have not paid as much attention to this day compared to Christians in the East. But I've noticed in America that epiphany seems to be making a comeback. More people seem to be at least aware that it that it's a day we celebrate and leave up their decorations longer. Maybe because they're too tired, could be, but people are leaving up their decorations a little longer. And I think those who do celebrate it tend to focus on the Magi, that idea of the, the three wise men we celebrate to come and visit the infant Jesus. But in the Eastern churches, you might be interested to know, especially in Europe and Africa, their epiphany focus is the baptism of Jesus, which typically on the church calendar is is the second week in January. And they have some interesting rituals to remember it. If any of you are Greek Orthodox or have any families um, from Eastern Europe, you may already know this, but this was new to me. Men dive into frigid waters, like zero degrees, well, I guess that would be frozen, but maybe 33 degrees, (laughs) and they go diving in for a cross, and the first person who can find this cross, I don't know, is celebrated, and they lift them up on their shoulders. And then there's also, um, I think, some some just die for the cross, some just dive in waters that's been blessed by a priest. Then in Ethiopia, they go all out with these gatherings of people in ceremonial robes and dress, and they beat drums, and they dance, and they sing with joy. And then they, again, jump into waters that have been blessed. I wonder if celebrating this 12-day season of Christmas 
and ending it with such joy and dancing and festivity and celebration might not be bad for American Christians to consider. Maybe it helps with that inevitable post-Christmas letdown. You know what I mean. I think it started about 10 in the morning at our house. That's it. You know you've had a long season of holiday parties and gatherings, maybe at home, in your office. You pulled out your ugly Christmas sweaters. You probably ate too much and had houses full of guests. You might feel like you need a little rest. You might feel like you ate too much or spent too much or worried too much. You might be focusing on what didn't go right or what you didn't get. And maybe you're just too worn out to contemplate, let alone celebrate the joy of this season. And you might even say that you experienced some disappointment. Maybe Christmas didn't go quite as you expected. Maybe there was some sadness or grief. Maybe you've lost a spouse or marriage or job or house. All those things can change how we celebrate the holiday. Maybe you got bad news about your health. Or maybe you're unsure about your purpose and your future. We tend to do those that's kind of thinking and reflecting at the end of a year. Maybe your holiday didn't look quite like that Norman Rockwell card. You know, the one where he walks in and the whole family's just ready to hug him. Sometimes returning home for the holidays can be a little bit awkward. Take some time to rebuild those relationships, to get used to being around each other. Maybe you experience some tension or anxiety and perhaps even soothed yourself with too much food or drink. Well, maybe that doesn't connect with you at all, but the headlines might have worried you some. Goodness, there's certainly much to be concerned about. The threat of war and too much gun violence and multiple terrorist attacks. It may have been hard to refocus your attention on the celebration of being together and sharing gifts with those whom you love. Well, it may be comforting to know that the people of Israel knew what it was like to have difficulty returning home. Years after being taken from their homeland, they knew darkness. They knew anxiety. They had trouble refocusing. I'll quickly recap this history, and then I'm going to read from the prophet Isaiah. You may know that for more than 400 years, the nation of Israel was ruled by judges. And after that, the people grew restless, and they clamored and rose up and said that they wanted a king, just like all the other nations had kings. And they thought maybe it would give them an edge on the battlefield. So the first three kings, David, uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, they did a pretty good job. But after King Solomon died, things pretty much fell apart. And the nation of Israel was then divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And then for the next 200 years, the northern kingdom of Israel had about 20 different kings, most of them bad, who led people into worship of other gods. And during that same period in the southern kingdom, 
They had 19 kings, I think, and one queen. Some of them good, most of them bad as well. And eventually, both of these kingdoms were taken over by their neighbors. Assyria overtook the north. Babylonia took over the south, which is present-day Iraq. And they were sent out into exile, banished, sort of like permanent timeout, for 49 years. And their joy turned to darkness. They just figured God had forgotten them. They were cut off from the source of their identity and purpose, but just long enough for some of them to remember that life that they used to enjoy in the land of milk and honey. I don't think we could even imagine what that would be like for us. To be taken from your home to someone else's country, to all of a sudden be around new people, with languages and customs and food and clothing that was totally unfamiliar to us, to have no control of our future, to have just a complete change, geographically, demographically. How would we make sense of how God had allowed us to lose most of what had been promised to us for generations? I think whatever struggles we have gone through recently would pale in comparison to this. And then after years of pleading and prodding, Ezra the priest convinced the king Babylon to allow the exiled people to return home to the promised land. But when they get home, their home isn't what they left. It's been destroyed by war. It's in rubble. So Ezra convinced the state to pay for the rebuilding of their city of Jerusalem, but the people had quite a bit of rebuilding to do. I'm sure they just felt paralyzed and frozen in that sense of darkness. Plus, the people around them didn't want them back. So you have a picture of the scene a little better now. It's in the midst of this darkness and despair that the prophet Isaiah urges the people of Judah not to give up hope. And he promises them that everything is going to change for the better. And he assures them that God has not forgotten you, has not forgotten the city, your city. And he challenges them to move out of the darkness into the light with these words. I invite you to follow along if you'd like as I read from Isaiah 60. It's printed in your bulletin. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations 
shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Imagine how these words would have sounded to their ears, to these people who have lost all hope, who have had everything they know taken away from them. Arise, shine, for your light has come. It's not an invitation. It's a command. The prophet is saying, get up, dust yourselves off, and go let everyone see God's light shining through you. Probably not what they were expecting to hear. And then he gives them another command. Lift up your eyes and look around. And he explains to them how the sons and daughters of the city will return home. God's light will shine through the darkness and they shall be radiant. Their hearts will thrill and rejoice. What a positive, encouraging vision. Picture camel caravans coming from all over Asia, bringing gold and frankincense. Wait, we've heard that before. Now before you get that vision in your mind of, Three kings with velvet pillows bearing gifts. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2, the only gospel that records the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I always think it's interesting when we read familiar passages in Scripture or ones that we think we know, that upon a closer look, we realize that what we think is there is not actually there. We're just imagining it from Christmas pageants or other times that we've um, seen it acted out or sung. So take a look at the Scripture and we'll have a quick quiz. How many Magi were there? Does it tell us? 
Doesn't say. How did they get to the manger? I know it wasn't Uber. What? How'd they get there? We don't know. And where does it say that they were kings? Take a good look in the scripture. And what country were they traveling from? Somewhere from the east. And how long did it take him to get there? Isn't that interesting? We, some people think that Reisman alive the next day. Some scholars say, oh, it was two years. Oh, did they take a camel? Did they stop on the way? Were they astrologers? What we do know is that there were three gifts. So, of course, because everybody needs a part in the Christmas pageant, you have three kings or three wise men with their cardboard hats covered with tinfoil. You probably were in one of them. We only know about the gifts. The gold, representing the wealth and royalty, was the sign that Christ would be king. The frankincense, which was burned daily in the Jerusalem temple as an holy offering to God, was a sign that he would be holy. And the myrrh, a bitter spice used to wrap bodies of the dead, was a sign that even though he was royal and holy, he would die. That's the important part. Fascinating, isn't it? The Bible doesn't say where these men were from, how they got to Bethlehem, when they arrived, how many there were. We can credit poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow with giving them names. I think that's how we got three. Caspar, Melchior, and Belfazar. But the most important detail to me, besides the names of the gifts, is that these men were from the East, meaning not from around here. We heard that a lot when we lived in the South. You're all not from around here, are you? Meaning, when are you going back home? Sometimes. Anyway, besides the shepherds that Luke mentions in his gospel, the first people who come to worship the newborn Jesus are not his own people. They're not the locals. There's no sign of the Jewish king Herod, the scholarly chief priests and elders, no sign of them. The first visits are from outsiders, foreigners, strangers, outside of Israel, outside the bloodline of the ancient covenant. They looked differently, talked differently, dressed differently, spoke, you know, all everything was different about them. So think about that. These non-Jewish Gentiles followed a star across deserts and mountains, crossed national barriers, went to honor a new king that they had heard about. And I'm sure they had their own uh, reservations. I'm sure they wondered if it was worth following this star for thousands of miles. They probably wondered if this prophecy was even true. But they took some risks. They traveled long and far risking themselves, bringing extravagant gifts to come to this very humble place to offer their gifts to the newborn king. And they gave of themselves, not knowing if they would receive anything in return. And when they got there, we're told that they knelt down and worshipped the king. And in giving, 
they received. They left with their attention refocused on spreading the light of Christ on their journey back home. Well, I think these wise men, magi, kings, no matter how many there were, give us something to ponder and think about next time we return to a place or situation or people that we think we know or people we're used to being around, especially situations that might, we might think are difficult or dark. Because I believe that God surprises us and we end up refocusing our attention on something that we didn't expect. I want to share just a couple of stories where this has happened in my life. When my husband and I went to serve on disaster relief trips in Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina, we thought we were going to give. Our church was all about the giving. I think we took 10 different trips there after the storm. But instead, we received. We thought we were going to clean up the mess after the storm and help people rebuild their lives, but the surprise gift was meeting Christians from all over the world. Some had driven from California and Minnesota and just all over, in cars and buses and RVs. We shared meals with them and we worshiped with them, and we got a new sense of what it means to be the church and came home with a new focus of what that meant to live that out. When I went to Russia in the mid-1990s, I directed a choir of Russian-American youth, accompanied them on guitar, and we sang in orphanages and prisons and hospitals and some really dark places. And I thought that my purpose was to come and shine the light of Christ to these dark places. I think I sang Shine, Jesus, Shine about a hundred times. Do you know that song? Instead, that wasn't it at all. God spoke to me by refocusing my attention on the lonely faces of the Russian orphans. And when I returned home, I found a new love and compassion for my three adopted brothers. And when I learned that many of the teenage prisoners were there because they had stolen bread to feed their families, changed my heart and gave me a new compassion for those who are hungry. And when Daniel and I helped lead a group on a mission trip to Haiti, we thought that shining our light again meant leading worship and teaching and helping the group. And again, God surprised me. I ended up being at the right place at the right time to hold a newborn baby whose mother had just died in childbirth. That's a common thing in Haiti. Women walk eight miles, give birth, and then walk back home and die. It's tragic. I truly felt the sense of God's presence in that moment. And I returned home with a renewed sense of the gift of life, the miracle that it is, and the honor it is to be a mother. So I hope you will ponder these things in your life this week and think about where God might be calling you to return whether it's home or another place or person you've perhaps avoided or find difficult. Perhaps there's a situation or place that God wants you to see with new eyes. 
And think about how God might be calling you to rebuild. Is there something which God might want you to reconnect or reconstruct or reclaim to remember what was good about it? And that last R word, because preachers like three words that all begin with the same letter, refocus. Where might God want you to look up and look around? Where can you shine the light of Christ? Work, school, with your family, perhaps somewhere you've never been before. So return, rebuild, refocus. What would that look like in your life? Maybe it's teaching Sunday school or visiting a homebound member or writing cards or baking cookies or serving at lunch break or helping a neighbor, making a year-end gift. Today is the last day. Ask God to help you figure out what that might look like in your life. Epiphany is a great time to recommit ourselves to spreading God's light. might mean taking risks and going to unfamiliar places. But if we do, I can pretty much assure you that God will surprise you and work in ways that are different from what you expect. So friends, look up, look around, arise and shine, and let God's light shine through you in these days ahead. Thanks be to God.